You're listening to Alamo City Limits Podcast with Noah McGarrow-George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation. What's going on, San Antonio Spurs fans? Welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. Today, we're going to be doing a little bit of Pounding the Rock Spurs talk leading up to the 2021 NBA draft, as well as seeing what directions Pop in the front office could take this offseason. I've got two very special guests. I've got Benjamin Bornstein, Project Spurs draft columnist, and I've also got Gabe Esquivel, the head of scouting at Burlington School. How are y'all doing today? Fantastic, sir. Great, great. I'm glad to be on. I'm really glad to uh, talk some draft. Honestly, I've been itching for this sort of thing. Yeah, I'm excited to have you both on. You, you're both really knowledgeable about this. I think people have heard me talk about all the draft prospects that could potentially land a Spurs enough. So let's just hop right into it. So the draft combine is over now, right? So the Spurs met with several prospects, including Kai Jones, Keon Johnson, Corey Kispert. Are any of the names that I listed should they be like of interest to the Spurs if they're still on the board by the time we reach 12th? And who are some of y'all's favorite prospects for the Spurs in that late lottery range? We'll start with Ben and then we'll move on to Gabe. So I've, I've always been a huge fan of Corey Kispert. I think I, I jumped on his bandwagon like two to three games into Gonzaga's season this year. And I am a hardcore Kispert guy. I professional shooter. I think he can, he can be as good as, or possibly a better shooter than Cam Johnson uh, for the Suns right now. I, that's kind of how I see him. He, his perception's a little different. He's Cam Johnson was a guy where I think he got picked at 11 and everyone's like, oh my God, that's a huge reach. And he's kind of played up to that pick now. Whereas Corey Kispert, I regularly see in the top 10. So the, the perceptions are a little different of those two players going into the draft, but I really like Corey Kispert. And with Keon Johnson, I think from what I've seen, he's a guy who's, I think he, he's not falling past 10. So if he does fall to the Spurs, I think they have some decisions to make because he's a super athletic kid. And so it's kind of, you know, do we, do we kind of just say, screw it, we're going to throw our team needs to the wind and grab best available here? Or are they going to stick to their principles and say, no, we need a shooter or we need a big? Yeah, and I want I want to hop back to to Kispert real quick. So for people who think he's just a shooter, what else does he bring to the table? Because you know I think the Spurs that's definitely something they need, right? They were the one of the worst three point shooting teams in the NBA, as I say almost every week on the podcast. But I, you know, what else does he bring to the table besides just shooting? Uh, he's a serviceable defender. He's stronger than people realize. I mean, he's 6'7", 220, and he's a decent enough athlete. He's, he's going to be able to guard some threes, maybe some twos, some of the smaller fours. So it's, it's not like you're getting a guy who only shoots. He, he will be able to defend a little bit, which is what the Spurs need also. But really, uh, catch and shoot, he's great. He's got a little bit of J.J. Redick in him in that he'll run around some screens, get his feet set, and, and make – high-level shots for you. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you kind of breaking it down there for us. Gabe, who are some guys who you like at the 12th pick? And did any of the people that I listed earlier, you know, interest you in any way for the Spurs at 12? Yeah, yeah. You know, Kispert's an interesting case because, you know, it, the question obviously is what is he going to do at a high level besides shoot? Um, and, and I think Ben made some really good points. I do think he's certainly more than a shooter. You know, today the news came out that the Spurs had interviewed him and there was a big ruckus on, on Twitter. And I think some of that was definitely um, unwarranted. You know, I think Kispert's <laughs> a, definitely could be a serviceable player. Of the three that you mentioned between him and Kai and Keon, I think Keon is definitely the, the best prospect by a clear head. 
yeah, I think if you were to fall to 12, you probably have to take him. Uh, I think that's, that's too good of a prospect to, to pass up on. It doesn't seem like he will pass, pass the top 10, like Ben said, but um, if he's there at 12, I think, I think that's a no brainer. Uh, it would suck to draft another guard, but ultimately, <laughs> you know, you, you have to draw, you have to get the best players and figure the rest out from there. It's not like we have the guy anyways. So, you know, I, I would certainly go to Keon, but Kai would be a great pick as well. Kai Jones is um, fantastic. He, he fits a need, uh, really high ceiling guy. Um, now, I think if they pick Kai and, and one reason why I think they might not pick a guy like Kai is because they're probably trying to maximize their output from a rookie as, as soon as you can uh, to try to fit this, this winning window that they might think that pop still has. And Kai is very much a project, and he, but even Keon's a project, you know, with that said, Keon is a bit of a project. He still has to develop a lot of his skills, but Kai is, you know, very much a project, especially how big men have to translate to the NBA, especially on the defensive side of the ball. It's just a lot to learn. And he's still really, really, really raw. I have a feeling that he would be pretty close to where he's been living for the last year and stay in Austin there uh, if, if he was the pick. Um, but like I said, I, I don't think that's a bad thing. It just, given what the Spurs are probably going to do and looking for maybe a guy like Kispert who is plug and play ready, you know, th- that may be something that entices them. And I've always said you shouldn't draft for shooting. Uh, I've always thought that get an NBA shooter who is proven, who um, has shot at NBA game speed, NBA, um, you know, uh, distance, but with as much of an emphasis as shooting has become, and, and even at the youth basketball level, guys are going into the league as ready-made shooters. So, you know, I think Kispert will immediately translate his shooting from the go. So I think that's something that, that might be worthwhile. But, you know, a guy like is Usman Garuba. Um, so he's, he's an international guy. I'm really, really, really high on him, I think, compared to the consensus. Uh, I think there's a good chance he's the best prospect available at 12. Um, him or Jaden Springer, Keon Johnson's teammate. Both those guys are like top nine for me. And I, I really like both their games now. I mean, Jaden Springer would probably be a little bit more of a project. Um, again, a project guard does not sound like the most appealing thing. You know, I think uh, ideally, if you're getting a guard, you want him to be able to come in and impact immediately, like um, like a Davion Mitchell. Well, I don't know about 12, but he is an you know he's going to be plug and play ready. So you know, Garuba, he's a professional. He plays professional basketball already in one of the best leagues in the world. I think he's somebody who can come in, play immediately. He feels um, really a, a wide variety of needs. He can play the four. He can play the five, super versatile defender. Um, I mean, the things that we could do defensively with uh, DeJounte, Derek, Keldon, Bissell, or Garuba, and, you know, Yak lineup would be would be pretty insane. So, to me, Garuba is like, you know, I think he's a good chance he's the best player available, and he's going to fit that team need. Um, guys like Jalen Johnson, who can play the four as well. Franz Wagner, uh, who, who can play the four, you know, plays the four, plays the three. Uh, I think Franz Wagner is a plug-and-play guy. I think he's ready to contribute at NBA level. I think even Jalen Johnson, to an extent, can contribute at an NBA level immediately. You know, I know there's not a ton of him over at Duke. A ton of film on him from, from the Duke days because uh, he left early. But the UIBL film was very promising. And he did look good in spurts at Duke. Uh, and I think he's got a real good mold that the Spurs could really use. Yeah, I agree with you with, with most of the points that you made there. And I think one of the things that I think is really great about this 12th pick is I feel like there's not a lot of ways for the Spurs to go wrong here. Like there's going to be a lot of really solid talent in that 12 range. So if they took, if they took Kai, I'd be fine. If they took Keon, I would be fine. If they took someone um, like Usman Garuba at 12, I would also be fine. And there's just so many guys who are there, but there's been a little bit of buzz on social media. The Spurs needing to move up, you know, to get the guy. And it kind of sounds like right now the Warriors are going to try to trade James Wiseman package it with the seventh overall pick 
Woj also reported that Cleveland is going to be aggressively pursuing an established star, even if it means parting ways with the third pick. Do either of you see anyone who the Spurs could offer in return that could entice either the Cavs or the Warriors to part ways with those picks? And is that something they should even really look to do? Because at this point, I think even if you're getting the third pick, Mobley's probably gone. Kate is definitely gone. And those are the only two guys who I see her, you know, they're, they're sure things, or at least for me, they're sure things. So is it even worth it if they can figure out a package to do that? For me, because I, I don't really know what the Cavs would be looking for, and I don't think the Spurs can give it to them. So I don't think there's any sort of trade package there for the, the Cavs and the Spurs. And like you said, if the Spurs are going to go up, you got to go up and get Evan Mobley or Cade Cunningham. And, and personally, I'd try and go and get Evan Mobley. I think he's a generational big. He, he's going to have to put on a little bit of weight, but what, what college kid doesn't have to do that right? You know, seven-footer, can shoot it, can handle it a little bit, good defender, can guard probably two or three positions as a seven-footer, very good. So I, I really like Evan Mobley. He's been one of my favorite guys to watch this year. And let me tell you, as someone who lives on the East Coast, it has been incredibly painful to try and stay up <laughs> and watch those USC games. But if doggone it, if I wasn't going to try. I'm right there with you. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I know the struggle. <laughs> it's the worst. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't think there's – I mean, getting up to the Warriors' seventh pick would certainly give them more flexibility. And I think the, the, what, what the Warriors want, though, is a big man. So what, what are the Spurs going to do? Give up Jakob Pertl and then have basically no depth uh, in their front court. So, you know, the, the Spurs just don't really have much to give up unless you're looking for guards, in which case they have two or three they can give up. But the other issue with the Spurs is that, you know, you only really have, I think, seven or eight guys that are guaranteed to be on your roster. You know, you have a bunch of dudes who are going to be free agents, Maybe you try and re-sign a couple of them. You know, there's a lot of talk about sign and trade DeMar DeRozan and send them off somewhere to get something in return. It's an option, sure. But they're also counting on having most cap space in the NBA this offseason to go out and sign people. I don't know how many big signings they can go out and make. I'm sure they're going to make John Collins an offer, which is something that has been talked about greatly since the Spurs season ended and the Hawks season has continued to go on. So... I think they will, they'll make an offer, but I think the Hawks are going to end up matching. I think they realize they like him too much. And he, he, he is that perfect piece in that puzzle for the Hawks right now. And frankly, the Hawks would have been a higher seed if they had all of their players healthy all season, Cam Reddish and Deandre Hunter have barely played. Um, so I don't know if you're the Spurs, maybe getting up to seven is, is ideal, but I don't know what you'd give up in a trade package you could go up and you could probably get a Scotty Barnes at seven who I happen to really like. And as someone who went to the university of Florida <laughs> saying that I like an FSU player stings me to my soul, <laughs> but I have now said that about Devin Vassell and Scotty Barnes <laughs> in back-to-back drafts. So my heart is going to have some serious healing to do after this, but <laughs> if you can go up and get Scotty Barnes, I think I really like that. His shooting stroke looks much better than it did in the regular in his co lone college season at FSU. And he's a versatile defender. He can go down there and play point forward for you, run a break, even run your half court offense a little bit. He can see over his defender. 
um, you know, he's kind of Ben Simmons esque in that regard. And he's going to go out and he plays with phenomenal energy. So if the Spurs are going to go up to the seventh pick and do some sort of deal with the, with the Warriors, I'd love to see them get Scotty Barnes. Yeah. I like Scotty Barnes. What about you, Gabe? What do you think? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think the only way that a trade up would be worth it uh, or feasible to seven would be if Scotty Barnes is available. I think that's the only there's to me, there's six guys that might be worth trading up for. So kind of being stuck at seven is a bit of a conundrum because it's a good chance they could all go top six. There's a great chance that Scotty Barnes is gone by that Warriors pick. Um, honestly, I think if, uh, if Scotty Barnes is available, the Warriors will take him happily because he does kind of fit a big, he's very versatile. I mean, that guy learning from Draymond with his the skills that he already has, you know, why, why, why trade that away um, with a ceiling that that might, that might give you. So that would be the only way that I would see it feasible or, or even possibly worth it. But uh, like Ben said, we don't have a ton to, to offer really, uh, mm-hmm. unless they are really just desperate for star power and, and maybe we'll be, you know, lured by DeRozan sign and trade type of thing. But even the logistics of doing a sign and trade during the draft, you know, it's, 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 it's all uh, a little too much for, I, I think, to end up kind of panning out in that way. But kind of like you were saying, you know, at 12, we're in a great spot We're we're, we're going to, it's going to be really hard to mess it up. Uh, and we should, I feel like we should knock on wood when we say that, but Spurs, <laughs> you know, front office has, has, I think earned all, all of our trust over, uh, you know, all the really in the 20 years, last five years, they, they rarely do miss in, in the long run. And um, I think we'll be, we'll be fine as well. There are some really, really, really interesting prospects that uh, seem that they're going to be available at 12. So um, stay where we're at. If, if anything, I think trading down is a possible option. If we really like a guy like Zaire, uh, Zaire Williams, if Garuba really doesn't look like a lottery talent, maybe trade back to 15 or 16 and still get him. You know, th- so there's going to be options there. I-, I think trading back might be worth it if if there's a team in the, that mid or late teens that really wants to jump up. Uh, trading back could, could really be worth it and just add more capital. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there because I think trading back isn't something that a lot of people think of. But like you said, like if your guy is there and you don't think he's necessarily going to be off the board anytime soon, then you might as well trade back. Maybe you get another second rounder. Maybe you can get another asset. And I don't see how that could possibly hurt you. Uh, and, and one of the things I want to talk about, too, is the second rounders. I know it's not like a super sexy thing to talk about, but the Spurs have worked out guys like Jordan Hall. They worked out, uh, you know, Joe Wieskamp. They worked out. Um, there's one more who I'm, who I'm just blanking on at the moment. Uh, Austin Reeves as well. What should the Spurs even really be looking to do in the second round? Are there any guys who sort of stick out to you as like if they're available, you must go get them for me? I think one of the guys who I really like, I do like Joe Wieskamp, but the guy who fell this year most out of like anyone on my board was Brandon Boston. And I think if he's there at 41, like you, you can't pass up on him, even if you have a bunch of guards or wings. Now, I don't know how much y'all agree with that. And I'll start with Gabe here. Is Brandon Boston or Joe Wieskamp a guy who interests you at 41 or are there other guys too, who, you know, it's a second round pick. Right. Right. Yeah. If, if, if BJ Boston's there, um, that's the pick. It has to be, I don't think there's, there's, uh, I can't imagine there'd be a better player at, at 41. Uh, I still have him in my top 25 ish. Uh, I had Trey Jones in my top 25 and we managed to still him in the forties. So I would love if this was a repeat of that. He is very, very, very good. Obviously the season at Kentucky was really wonky, but I think he's certainly a better shooter than that. Now there are some concerns with, it will be able to put on the floor at the, at the NBA level. How well was creation, you know, stand up at the NBA level. He's 
not particularly strong. So questions about finishing at the rim. Um, so there are, there are some, some legit concerns, but um, the, the talent is there. And I think, you know, uh, those who watch some of the good Kentucky and uh, those who watched his EYBL tape, he was uh, extremely, extremely good. And I'm someone who, when I first started watching him in high school, I really wasn't high on him. I was like, I'm not, you know, I'm not, not a big Boston guy. It's whatever. But as I watched more of him, I really, he really grew on me. And I really uh, kind of saw, you know, a lot of the traits that you see and, you know, a lot of it's going to be tied to how well can he create a shot. And he's shown that he can do that at a high level, at least in EYBL uh, against that competition, which is very high level competition for, for the age group. Um, but how much of that is going to be able to, to translate? That's the big question. But Weezy's camp is a, is a great pick as well. Um, I like him. He adds the shooting kind of, uh, and no, I believe it was you who said this on, on one of your recent pods that you kind of get with Weezy's camp, you're getting what you can get with Kispert in a way. Um, and probably for the value of 12 versus 41, Weezy's camp is probably a better value. Um, and you're still kind of getting the, the, the same general idea of shooting. Uh, and I think Weezy's camp will be an elite shooter at the, at the next level. I think, um, I think Daron Sharp is, a, is an option as well. Um, big man from UNC. Uh, and so kind of similar to, to Ben with his UF and FSU thing. You know, I'm an NC State guy, so uh, I, I definitely don't love to give love <laughs> to UNC guys. But, um, but I think he'd be nice. great pick at, at, at 41, uh, especially <laughs> if we don't go big at 12. And, and I think Daron Sharp is somebody who honestly could have value even towards the late first. But he's, uh, he looks like he can be a really good shot blocker, really good defender, not terribly versatile. But um, – you know, maybe almost uh, his maybe his ceiling looks like a more athletic yak, and I think that's really good. It's probably his absolute ceiling, and he's got high IQ. He moves really well. Um, he's getting in better and better shape every every year. Um, I know when he was a senior here in North Carolina, he was not in good shape at all, and went to Montverde, um, and they got him right. And so now it's been really <laughs> on the up from there for him. And always always good to get guys from programs like North Carolina as well. Uh, where, you know, they produce pros, they run at a bit of a higher standard than a lot of other programs. So, you know, you know, he's going to be able to be coached. He's been coached by Roy Williams, you know, uh, he'll be able to be coached up. And I think Isaiah Todd, another North Carolina guy, he was in the G League night. Now it seems like his stock's been rising a little bit. Maybe he'll probably won't be there at 41, but, um, you know, he may get selected in the early thirties, but I think he's someone who, if he's there, definitely should be looked at, especially if we don't go big, like I mentioned, or even if we do, he's, he's versatile enough where he can play the four or the five or possibly even some some wing uh, here and there. But he's an interesting guy. And I think um, the issue with him is just his decision making. It's just consistently yeah. poor on both ends. And I don't really know why that is. It just it just doesn't process the game, I guess, at a, at a, at a high speed. But he's got really, really, really high level talent. Um, things he can do with the ball in his hands at his height. He's legit 6'10", 6'11". You know, it's definitely a special mix of talent there. Greg Brown Jr. of Texas is in kind of the same breath where, you know, they're, they're that, that really athletic big man who should be uh, pretty versatile at the four or the five and has the tools, but really just needs the needs the molding to put it all, all together. Um, so those are some guys that I think if they're there, even if they're there in the, in the mid-30s, maybe it's worth trading up to get one of those guys if, if, the, if the cost is low. You know, teams are always trying to sell second-round picks, so – Maybe you just give them some money and 41 and, you know, you can go up 35. Yeah. What about you, Ben? What, who are some guys who you like at that 41st pick that area? I, I love that Gabe said Daron Sharp. I think he would be, if he somehow <laughs> falls there, I think that'd be a low key great pick. Um, I liked watching his game too. I think your comparison is spot on. It's awesome. Um, a guy I've been looking at that I've, he didn't have a great NBA draft combine showing, but I still like him. Kessler Edwards. 
out of Pepperdine, another West Coast guy, very good defender, versatile defender. And while he didn't score a whole lot at the draft combine scrimmages, he basically shut down everybody he guarded. And I think that's something that Spurs and Spurs fans would love to see. They need a good defender who can who can lock down a position and say, listen, you're not if you're getting buckets, they aren't easy or you're not getting buckets at all. So I think he's a really interesting prospect to consider at 41. Um, a couple other guys I've been doing so many of these um, low key. It might, he might be a bit of a reach at 41, but Raekwon gray out of FSU again, I can't believe I just said that. Um, <laughs> but he, he's very, I don't know. I don't have words. I don't have good words uh, to describe him, but he's kind of like that guy who, plays foot he's, he's a football player playing basketball but he's not out of control and wild like football players at, at pickup you know he's he's under control he knows how to use his body he uses it very well he the thing that scares me is he did have one of the higher body fat percentage counts at the draft combine and i think he was still losing weight i mean i think he still lost weight every year at fsu and he's so i mean he's he's working he's getting himself there it's going to take some time. It's a, you're definitely getting a project at 41 with him, but someone to consider, I would say. Uh, another guy I really like is actually Jeremiah Robinson Earl out of Villanova. Yeah, I like him a lot too. Yeah, he's yeah. He, I, I liked him a lot last year, and I, I was kind of hoping he would declare, and I think he might have. There was a chance he could have been a first-rounder last year just with how weak that draft class was perceived to be, but – uh, he's a guy at 41, I think, who has great value. He's going to be able to go out there and guard a couple positions for you. Good rebounder, really solid shooter, has some post moves. So he's a guy I absolutely would love to have at 41. He comes out of a great program at Villanova. You know, Jay Wright's a great coach. It's it's like, you know, coming out of UNC Duke, you, you know, you have a higher standard of playing ball there. And the, those guys who come out of those programs understand how to play the game. I mean, Jalen Brunson, Josh Hart, a couple of those guys who, yeah, who, who just get the game. So I think Jeremiah Robinson Earl is at that level as well. Yeah. I like all the names that you guys listed there and we kind of touched on it earlier where the Spurs, you know, they don't have the guy and, and I want to transition a little bit into the off season. So the Spurs, in my opinion, I don't really think they have the guy. They don't have a ton of people under contract, but the people that they do have under contract are young. Let's just assume that DeMar DeRozan is gone, right? Like there's, there's a strong possibility he's gone. Is there anyone out of any of the Spurs youngsters who you see blossoming into that guy, so to speak, if they're given a larger role next season? And is there more than one candidate or is there just one breakout candidate? And should they really feel married to any of the assets they have right now. Personally, um, I think you could move anyone. I wouldn't really be opposed to moving anyone if you could get like a proven star or even a better asset in return. But I want to hear what y'all have to say about it. And we'll, we'll start with Gabe and then we'll move on to uh, Ben. Yeah, I think um, Derek White. Uh, I, I've, I just, I think the world Derek White, if he can stay healthy, of course, that's the big qualifier with him. But man, I mean, I think he can be, um, uh, maybe not the guy, but I think he can be like a very legit number two on a, on a very, very, very good team. And, um, you know, so I, I think he's someone who they should really, really, really be hard pressed to give up unless it is, you know, the guy. 
you know, so like the Ben Simmons trades, I wouldn't have given Derek White for Ben Simmons, I don't think, in this scenario. Even though I, I was uh, relatively high on Ben Simmons, Derek White would probably be where, where I would draw the line, certainly. Um, I think Lonnie Walker still has a chance. He, there, there's a lot of talent in there. His play style is shot creator. And if, if the shots start falling a little bit of a higher clip, if he gets that mid range down a little bit more consistent, if he gets the off the catch threes, if he gets the pull up threes, because uh, he, he can operate and, and really, really, really score out of pick and roll situations. The efficiency just has to come up. And, you know, he's still young. He's still learning his way. And, uh, you know, the first two seasons were basically, uh, you know, Austin half or more for, for the season, it felt like. So he really just got, got one full go year this past year. And he showed some really, really, really good stuff, especially with DeMar DeRozan out at times. And, you know, I think that Lonnie Walker, I've always been really high on him. I think he's somebody who could – um, also be, you know, a, a top two or three guy on a, on a really, really, really good team at his peak. But we don't have the guy. And uh, I think if there's two guys who I would bet on being the guy at some point, it would be Derek White or Lonnie. Uh, I really like Vassell as an asset. He's never going to be the guy. He's just not going to be the high usage type of guy. That's just not his game. I and mean, that's fine. I think he's still going to be really, really, really valuable. Uh, and and so I think if Vassell is somebody who I'd probably be hard-pressed to give up as well. But, you know, if the guy comes around, then, the guy comes around. Yeah, I mean that's you perfectly, perfectly said that. You never know; somebody can have a have that giant leap out of nowhere. It happens from time to time, and like I'm not a big person to go like, well, it happened with Manu, it happened with Tony. Like I'm not big on that, but like yeah, it happens in the NBA from time to time. So you know, keep your fingers crossed that that does happen, so it's easier for the Spurs. Ben, what do you think about that? Like, who is there a guy on this team, and who who would you be unwilling to part with? So for me. It's very early, but I would actually be unwilling to part with Devin Vassell. Um, I really like him. I like his game. <laughs> I think given the opportunity to play more minutes, he will be able to show a lot more in, in the, you know, in the few outings where he got, you know, consist a bunch of and consistent minutes, he played well. So I'd like to see more of that, please. But <laughs> um he would, I, I, and that's not to say I think he's going to be the guy. That's just a, that's just a player I would not want to trade because I think the potential is there and I think he might have a higher ceiling than people realize or, or that people are willing to admit whatever. But for me, I would say anybody else is pretty much movable as much as I enjoy watching Keldon Johnson play basketball because that man treats his body with reckless abandonment and it is amazing <laughs> to watch. But, um, like Gabe said, I think if there is a guy who has a chance to be the guy, I think it's Derek White. And again, to reiterate, to emphasize what Gabe has said, he has to stay healthy. Because if he if he can stay healthy, I think he will have he will have the chance to break out and be that guy. But if he can't stay healthy, then you know, I think if he has one more injury riddled year, you have to really consider seeing what his value is and trying to maybe make a trade. And I was, I was kind of on the verge of, you know, maybe we should try and trade him this year if you're the Spurs. That I mean, see if you still have value in him. I, I don't – because he's got to come back. Now he's got to come back and he's got to show you, you know, I can still play. My foot's not an issue. I've got everything fixed. We're, we're figured out. Give me a full season, 82 games, normal spacing and scheduling, <laughs> no, you know, normal load management, whatever you want to call it. And let's go. Yeah. I mean, I think just with Derek White's health that it, you're right. Like it's, that's the biggest question mark. I really like what I've seen from Derek uh, across all the years he's been in San Antonio. He just hasn't 
been healthy. Like even in the bubble, when he looked so good, of course, an injury takes him out of the bubble, you know, an injury, you know, to the same exact toe gets him at the start of the year once he's, so it's just staying healthy for me is the biggest thing for Derek White. And I want to see what he can do without DeMar. Like, I, I want to see how well he can run the show. And I also want to know, because I don't think we actually know yet. I know a lot of Spurs fans say, well, like DeJounte and Derek's a no brainer, but I actually want to see it in motion. I don't, I don't want to like keep, I don't want it to be a theory. I want to see if it actually can work because I, I, I really like DeJounte and I, this is absolutely not a shot at DeJounte, but I don't think he's a lead guard in the NBA. I, I don't like in terms of he's the guy who runs the offense for you full time. And then you're going to be a team that competes like for a championship. I really like him though. I like, I really, really like DeJounte. I think he provides a ton of value on the other side of the ball. But I think for me, when I, when I watch him play, I just not sure like how many point guards would you take over DeJounte? And I think the answer is, is a lot like there's a lot of really good point guards and I'm not sure he's, he would be the top of the list, but I like him. Like, I hope he proves me wrong. I say this every time. Like, I hope he proves me wrong. He's blocked me on, on Twitter and everything anyway. So I, it doesn't really matter, <laughs> but I, I hope he proves me wrong because I think he's a phenomenal human being. He's a great father and he's made giant strides like every year maybe not giant, but you know, he's made strides every single year. You know, he's gotten better year by year by year. But so hopefully he's one of those guys who, sort of has a breakout without DeMar there. Um, but I do think sometimes San Antonio Spurs fans tend to overvalue what we have in every single prospect. It's like Lonnie's the guy, then Keldon's the guy. Well, now, you know, every guy who comes in is the guy. And I, I don't think that's a great standard to hold people to because you sort of set yourself up for failure uh, or not yourself, but, you know, you set the players up to disappoint you. And I think it's just sort of unfair. So we talked about DeMar potentially moving and what that might do for the, for the young core, but he's not the only one who could be on the move. You know, it's Patty Mills, Rudy Gay, Trey Lyles, Gorgie Jang, a few other guys. Now, is there anyone who y'all would bring back on this, on this roster? Uh, for me, I think maybe Patty, I know that he's sort of maybe a roadblock to Trey Young or Trey Jones, rather <laughs> Trey Jones to getting minutes. I wish. <laughs> oh, man, I, Trey Young, I, I wish too. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he's like sort of a roadblock block to Trey Jones getting minutes, but I don't know where else you get shooting from. And I think that that compressed schedule plus him, like almost never getting rest really hurt his legs down the stretch. And so I think maybe you bring back Patty, but other than that, I'm not really keen on bringing anybody else back. Would y'all be willing to bring anyone else back out of the guys who were free agents for the Spurs? So for me, I actually really would like to see Gorgie Jane come back. Uh, as, as well as Patty Mills. I happened to, I was a huge fan of Jang when he was at Louisville as well. And he's just kind of, he's found a niche and a role on every team he's been on. And I think when he's given proper minutes, he can be a nice cog on a team. He's, you know, he's your backup big, but he can provide some shooting for you. He's going to play solid defense. He's not going to make stupid plays. And you know, he's, he's a good locker room presence as well. So for me, I think if you can find, if you can bring back Jang on the proper contract, whatever that is, maybe seven to 10 mil a year. If, you know, if that sounds appropriate to you guys, I, I might, that might be high. I don't know his but, value. Like I, it's hard to tell his value, right? Cause like pop benched him for a long time for Eubanks. Right. He was healthy. And then he put him in the game to bench Eubanks when Eubanks missed a few rotations in the playing game. So like, honestly, with a lot of these guys, I don't know their value. Like, I don't know if anyone it's, does. And, and some of that's hard to tell because the, the coach, the coaches have some weird rotations at times that just don't make sense to other 
earthly human beings, but <laughs> um, the, for whatever reason, they make sense to the coaching staff. So it's, yeah, it's hard to, to tell just how good or how not good a player is when they're playing with the Spurs, unless it's, you know, glaringly obvious, but I would like to bring back Jang. And like you said, Patty Mills for shooting purposes, um, you know, I would feel better about letting Patty Mills go if I knew that Trey Jones could turn into a shooter, but I don't know if we're there yet because he was very reluctant to shoot threes. Yeah, uh, even in even in the G League, he didn't really shoot threes. And it was like at the very first game, he attempted, I think, like three and none of them felt like none of them hit. And then it was like after that, he was kind of just gun shy from three. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know what to think of Trey. I really like him. I liked him last year. I hope he works out now. Now, Gabe, uh, I'll pose the same question to you. Who should who should the Spurs bring back out of those free agents? Yeah, I think I'm on board with Ben. Um, although I, I, I think it really just depends on what else that the Spurs do as far as signings, as far as the draft. I think if we draft our, our backup center, then maybe there's no need to bring back Jane. Um, but I, I think in, in theory and in a vacuum, I would like, really like to bring back Jane. He's, uh, he's you know, in that, in that range, um, it's hard to tell guys value right now, especially the guy who just got bought out. Uh, and then, you know, like I said, bench for uh, Drew Eubanks. But um, bringing him back at a good deal, I think would could really help the team, uh, you know, for all the same reasons that Ben mentioned. But like I said, if we end up drafting a backup center and that, you know, that ends up being the path that they want to go, then, you know, there's probably no need to bring Jang back. Patty, uh, for, for the shooting, for the culture, he's, he's a great culture guy. He knows the Spurs way. He's going to help kind of set the tone in the organization, especially with all the new guys, um, the, the young guys. He's going to help kind of build that culture a little bit always good to have somebody who, um, you know, has been there as long as he has, who knows Pop's ways and can really just kind of help carry that torch out uh, to, through the end of Pop's career, whenever that might be. But again, if, uh, if, if we get a lot of shooting and free agency or, or in, and through the draft and we may not need Patty for shooting, then, then maybe we can let Patty go and, and just kind of carry the torch. It sounds like DeJounte has really bought into the culture as well. And I, I trust him as somebody who could, you know, instill the values and, and help new guys learn. I, I think he's at that point now with the Spurs in which he can be a mentor in a way to, to the Spurs values and culture. So, you know, Patty's not the only guy, even Eubanks has been here for a while. Um, you know, th there are guys who can, can help set the culture, but Patty would certainly be, you know, amongst the top, but if they're shooting there, I really like Trey Jones. I think Trey Jones can be a really, really, really good backup point guard in the league. And, you know, I think he's somebody who can manage a game he can get paint touches. He can dish out. The shooting is still something that is uh, is a work in progress for him. It has been for many years now. But if that comes along, I think he can be a really, really, really complete point guard. You know, like I said, paint touches, guarding the point of attack, and and, and he's a good, smart passer um, that doesn't, you know, and hopefully won't be turning the ball over a, a whole lot. So kind of the guy you want to manage your second unit. But um, other than that, good on bringing Rudy back. Good on bringing Lyles back. I was never – keen on bringing him in to begin with um those guys can go and um and even patty you know i i, I really just want him for the as low as we can get it basically yeah no i i'm a I, i'm right there with you and you sort of talked about like what it depends on what other moves they make and we'll, we'll go ahead and talk about it since people have been talking about it for weeks and weeks and weeks the the john collins right so is he a guy worth overpaying because I do think even though it has been made clear, like the max contract for him would be like 28 million for the first year. And that's not like the worst number ever. 
I do think there are some concerns like long-term if you have John Collins on this team. And I, and I hear people say he, he raises the Spurs ceiling. He gives the Spurs what they don't have. But I think you take him out of the, the system that Atlanta has there where they have a ton of really good shooters. They've got better spacing. They've obviously got a superior point guard. I mean, there's not really, in my opinion, that many better point guards in the NBA than Trey. And he's got incredible gravity as a shooter, uh, as, as a scorer. I don't know that he's as effective if you bring him to San Antonio. So let's do, let's just talk about it. Ben, what is your opinion on John Collins? And is he someone worth overpaying? And I guess if you think that, then it's not even overpaying in the first place, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, he's worth overpaying if you're the Hawks. I, <laughs> like you said, I, I think because Trey, because of other players they have on that team, he is the perfect complimentary piece. And he's still the second or third guy on that team. He's not a bum by any means. You know, he's not, he's not, he doesn't have to be the fourth or fifth option on a playoff team. Um, it just happens to be that their number one guy is the point guard and he has the ball in his hands a vast majority of the time he's on the court. And that's not to say he doesn't dish the ball. Well, I mean, he averages a ton of assists. He's a great, he's a great passer, but like you're saying, if you put him on the Spurs, the situation changes drastically for him. He's probably asked to do a lot more than what he's being asked to do in Atlanta. He's being asked to shoot more threes, create more shots for himself, maybe post up a little bit. Whereas Atlanta, they're kind of like, you can do whatever you want, man. You're going to, you know, some nights you're the, you're the hustle glass cleaning guy. Some nights, you know, you're defending the best forward on the court. Some nights, you, you know, you hang out there and you shoot and you hit some shots, you knock them down and it opens up the rest of the floor for everyone else. Whereas in, in San Antonio, he would, he would have to, his usage percentage, I'm sure would skyrocket and he would be asked to shoot a lot more, handle the ball more and, you know, still play defense, still rebound. But now you're doing all of those things on top of the other responsibilities you're being given. And that may not make him as efficient and as good a player because he's going to be exhausted. Yeah. What, what about you? I mean, I, I think you pretty much echoed a lot of what I said. Uh, Gabe, do you have anything else to add to that? Do you have a different opinion on John Collins? Uh, yeah, I think it's slightly different overall. I and mean, I definitely agree with a lot of what he was saying. Um, but yeah, I've been very vocal about this on Twitter. You know, this has been the hot, hot button issue. The, the thing with John Collins is, you know, what is overpaying? You know, like you said, if you are okay with overpaying, is it even overpaying? But I, I don't think that the Hawks are as inclined or, or, or forced to, to match any offer that, that comes with Collins. I think they are in a position where they can lose him and basically still be the same team next year. I think um, even just the other night with when uh, Okongwu was in, he played some, some really good minutes against Milwaukee. He guarded Giannis at times. Uh, and for, to do that as a rookie, and he looked really good, is, uh, says a lot. And, you know, I think the Collins role of being the, the rim runner uh, can certainly be replaced by Okongwu. And um, even attacking closeouts and straight lines can be replaced by Okongwu. I think Okongwu is a better passer. Okong was probably a better overall decision maker. And then Okong was definitely a better defender. And, um, you know, so, so really if you, if you're the Hawks and you're replacing Collins with uh, Okong, then you're, you're of course losing the shooting and there's no denying that. And that, that's, a, that's a factor, but you know, if they bring Gallinari back. If they get a full healthy year of Hunter and Reddish, those guys can shoot and those guys can carry that load. And um, as far as, you know, on the Spurs side of things, kind of the way that I positioned it was, 
like we had mentioned, you know, the Spurs don't have that guy, right? Like we don't, we're, we're not one piece away from, from being a contender by any means. So to me, paying out 28 million to, you know, 25% of the salary cap to John Collins, who is a big man and who just generally is not a great decision maker. He's not terrific with the ball in his hands when he has to create his own offense, not a great passer and not an elite defender. He's a fine defender. Um, he is someone who generally has to have his offense created for him. That's his most efficient way. Um, and he really, really, really thrives in that. The spot up catch and shoot threes, you know, the, the, the high rising dunks. He really thrives in that role when you have a guy who can create for him at a high level. And so to me, just that archetype in general does not provide the value of, of 25% of your salary cap. And, and I think that alone really hurts. And, you know, maybe, you know, I had mentioned that, you know, hey, let's trade for Ben Simmons and let's add Collins. And then now suddenly we're a lot, lot, lot better. But, you know, without that guy uh, or a guy who can really be an engine, you know, I, I don't think Collins even has that much value either because just his, like I said, that style of play is always going to be a complimentary type of player. But just as Ben said, his usage will go up a lot if he goes to San Antonio. He's going to have the ball in his hands a lot more. That's going to put him in situations to make decisions, which, you know, like I mentioned, he's not particularly great at. He, he can get black holy at times when he has to make decisions, and he, like I said, he's not a great passer. So, you know, there, there are some issues that come with putting him in a more higher usage role when, uh, you know, I think, I think ideally for a guy like him, he's going to be the third or fourth best player on a contending team. So giving him number one guy money, uh, at least for the next year or two, it doesn't really signal a whole lot. He might raise the floor a little bit, but um, ultimately I think you can get really similar production, even from a guy like Guzman Garuba. Um, and then you can get a similar role and similar value. Um, obviously not to the extent or efficiency that Collins can give you at times, but if Collins is willing to bring his price down to like 20, 20, 20 to 23, I'm game for it. You know, I don't definitely don't want to be misconstrued as being like totally anti-Collins or that Collins sucks. He's good, really, really, really good at what he does. The issue is what he does just doesn't provide a ton of value on its own. So it's about trying to strike a balance. So I think, you know, if, he, if he's in the lower 20s, then the Spurs should definitely, um, you know, look at that as a possible option. Yeah, and I think that's really interesting. And something else that I found really interesting was Zach Lowe had a podcast that came out this week. And speaking of Ben Simmons, he said, you know, can I tell you my sneakiest team? Just purely putting the piece, uh, puzzle pieces together, San Antonio's tailor-made for a bunch of stuff for one guy. Um, you know, throw some things at the wall. Why not see if something sticks? They have veterans who compliment Simmons. They have some draft picks. They have a lot of good young guys. And basically he's saying that, you know, he thinks maybe packaging a few of the young guys in a pick or two here, you get Simmons. And so I think if you do get Simmons, I'm not ready to give up on him as somebody who can be the engine of an offense. And I think if you have Simmons and you have someone like Collins, who's not on the 28 mil, but you'd like closer to the range that you said, that's a really interesting roster makeup. If you're able to keep someone like Devin Vassell, uh, potentially Derek, because I think you're going to have to give up someone like Derek or DeJounte. You can't keep them both. That's just not going to happen. And you're probably going to have to let go of a pick or two. You may have to let go of Lonnie. So, but I do think they have other pieces that, you know, I don't want to give up everything. You know, you don't want to like gut your roster for Ben Simmons necessarily, but if you can make it happen within reason, like, I think it's an interesting looking roster, especially because Ben Simmons is under control for, I think another three years. So that would be a really interesting mix. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I'm looking at this free agent class. I just don't think it's really that strong. The last question I'll really ask y'all is, is there anyone else that they should really even think about throwing big money at or 
should they probably steer clear, maybe play it safe and look to next offseason where there's just a better crop of talent? Yeah, I would say playing it safe. You know, um, there's not a ton of guys now. There's a guy like Doug McDermott who hopefully won't require big money, but I think he's somebody who could really be valuable to this team with the shooting, just the veteran presence. Um, that would be terrific. You know, uh, but like I said, hopefully he doesn't require big money. There are some, you know, buy low restricted free agents, Marvin Bagley maybe, um, Harry Giles maybe. Um, you know, so there are some really interesting guys you can possibly buy low on too. So it's, it's, it's not a great class unless Kawhi says, Hey, I'm open for business. <laughs> then suddenly things get interesting. But other than that, no, I, I think it's, um, I think they should probably just play it safe and, you know, do some one year deals and, and kind of open up shop again next summer uh, in hopes to kind of strike that guy. Maybe you, uh, you know, maybe you draft a, a stud here at 12 and he becomes a, a lead guy and helps attract a free agent next year with all the money that we can give them. And, you know, who knows one thing leads to another and, and, you know, you don't want to tie yourself down uh, just because you have the money to spend doesn't mean you necessarily have to spend it in wasteful ways, like giving Collins a max deal. Yeah. Ben, what, what do you feel about the situation? I have been a fan of paying Lori Markinen a decent amount of money, um, <laughs> which I know will upset many people, but I think again, it has to be the right price. You can't overpay for a guy like that. I also happen to think he's not very happy in Chicago. Um, so I think he can definitely be had on the open market. You don't give him a long-term deal, maybe two, three years. Don't give him a full four, but uh, Dougie McBuckets. I love a uh, great guy that Gabe mentioned, and I agree. I think he can be had on the cheap. Um, there, there's a few guys I think you can get on the cheap. I don't have the list in front of me right now, but there were a couple where you look at him and you're like, oh, he's available? Oh, I wouldn't mind paying him $10 million a year for a couple of years. That doesn't sound like the worst thing ever. So there's definitely some options. But again, next year's offseason is going to have a much better free agency class. And that is the one you should save your money for. I mean, granted, the Spurs have to meet the roster minimum and they have to meet <laughs> the salary floor, but you know th that can be easily done. Yeah, yeah, and, and I guess as we wrap up here, do y'all, either of you, have any sort of closing thoughts on the San Antonio Spurs heading into next season, heading into this draft? And if not, we can sort of just kind of get this thing wrapped up here. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think uh, I think the Spurs are in a better spot than a lot of people realize, uh, you know, with the young core that we have. I think we have one of the best young cores in the NBA. You know, I think we have a lot of really, really, really good and versatile pieces. You know, it's a guard wing heavy league. And if Derek and Lonnie strike iron, then, you know, we could have something really special on our hands, uh, even with just the guys that we have. But um, but, you know, we're still missing that guy. So the hunt should be on finding that guy, taking the best players available, just trying to add as much talent as you can and figuring out the rest later. That should just be the philosophy and free agency to an extent. Um, and of course in the draft as well. But uh, you know, I, I do think that while I said that we're not one piece away, I think we are closer than, than a lot of people think. And, you know, I think we'll have a good year without DeRozan that he's kind of our safety net for the last couple of years with all the youth, uh, as much as I dog on him, he's been a great safety net and he does raise your floor. But um, I do think that the young guys are ready to fly. And I do think there's a chance that we could be even better than we were this year. Uh, if we draft right, if we, you know, tread free agency, you know, in the right way, I think there's a chance that we could be improved already next year. Absolutely. 
yeah, I think that's a great way to sort of cap this off before I let you guys go. Um, this is, you know, we're at the end here. So plug anything that y'all want, let people know where they can find you on social media, where they can find your, your work or, or just, you know, give a little fun tidbit about what you've been up to. Um, we'll start with uh, Gabe and then we'll move on to Ben. Yeah. So I'm not riding anywhere these days. As you know, said, I'm, I'm coaching and scouting or at a, at a private school here in North Carolina, but, um, you can follow me on Twitter at all day sport talk. You know, I, I'm always down for discussion on Twitter, whether it's uh, disagreements or agreements, <laughs> always down, always down for a good discussion. And um, yeah, follow me there. I, I actually might do a, a piece here and find some sort of outlet to publish it on or just do a Google doc piece and just kind of break down a little bit more in depth. Some of the targets at 12, if anybody's interested in that, you know, that'll be up on my Twitter, uh, not for a couple of weeks, but you can follow me sooner if you'd like. Awesome. Ben. So uh, Twitter, the at the underscore Boomstein. Uh, you can find all my stuff at projectspurs.com, writing draft prospects every week. I've uh, been going since the beginning of the college season, so there's plenty of dudes to look at. You can you can kind of see where, uh, where we evolved a bit, thinking, oh, we might have a shot at a top five pick. Oh, no, we're going to be later in the lottery. Oh, maybe we're out of the lottery. Oh, no, we're back in the lottery. So, <laughs> you know, you can kind of see the evolution from week to week a bit. But, uh, you know, I'm also down for any kind of discussion, NBA, especially college. Love me some college. I'm a junkie. Inject it straight into my veins. And, um, you know, just enjoy coming on here, talking ball with you guys. Yeah, and thank you all so much for joining me. And thanks to everyone who tuned in for this edition of Alamo City Limits. And for those of you listening at home, make sure to subscribe. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And don't forget to join me in Spotify Green Room every Friday at 5 p.m. for a Spurs fan Q&A. It's going to be a live recording of the podcast. Also, don't forget to check out Pounding the Rock. We've got a bunch of fantastic writers who do an amazing job of keeping everyone up to date with the silver and black. So check out our stuff. But until next time, Spurs fans, take care.